Hello and welcome to Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour. This is episode two. It is December 18th. It is a Monday. Garfield hates Mondays. I am not a fat orange cat, however, so I'm a bit more ambivalent towards the start of the week. Um, yeah, episode two, here we go. Got a bit of a shorter one today, I think, maybe, that I could be lying out of my ass, honestly. We'll, we'll find out together, I think. Um, I've got just a couple of things that have happened in the past week throughout the league, a little bit of drama, a little bit of an intrigue, um, and then I only really have, like, one segment topic for this episode, uh, Partly because there was a lot of drama and uh, and things that happened in the past week that I want to talk about, but also because my segment is a is a lengthy one, a girthy one, dare I say. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get back to my journalism roots really quickly and uh, and report on the news, shall we? Um, so over the weekend, on Friday specifically, the Knicks rolled into the Valley, and they they were there to do two things. They were there to kick ass. Take names, sorry, and a third, chew bubblegum. But there wasn't any bubblegum, so all they did was take care of business. Um, Jalen Brunson 50-burger. That's all I'm going to say. Jalen Brunson 50-burger. 50 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists, 5 steals on 74% from the field, 92.7% true shooting. The kicker, 9 from 9 from 3. Not only did he make nine threes, not only did he take nine threes, he made nine threes. He didn't miss a single one. It's the best three-point shooting game since Latrell Sprewell's performance against the Clippers in 2003. Um, and, and also, the second half was where he really got things going. Uh, 35 points, 12 of 12 from the field, 8 of 8 from three-point line. Um <laughs> Wow, what what a game. What a performance. Uh it's just beautiful basketball. One of those one of those moments where you can really tell that that player is just unconscious in rhythm. Basketball is such a momentum and rhythm-based game anyway that sometimes you just you can tell if players in a flow state and just everything. Everything is good. And I think really funny was like the eighth three he made. Like the seventh or eighth, it wasn't the last one, that's all I know. Uh, but the seventh or eighth three he made was a pretty tough, like, he was dribbling, put it behind him to put, like, him between the defender. And then he kind of lost the ball and picked it up, realized there was space, might as well take it. Takes it, definitely looks like he was, he, the, the possession was kind of a, was kind of a throwaway. Double bounce off the rim. And, and then it rolls in. Really, that's how you know the basketball gods are on your side. There's a You can see the, the Suns bench in that moment. They're all like, oh, brother. Which is how I would feel too, so I don't really blame them. But yeah, what a performance. Uh, truly a sight to behold. I, I actually fell asleep before the game even ended. He had like, I think he had 42 points. I don't remember exactly how far through the game it was. Halfway through the fourth, I'm assuming. Um, and I remember kind of thinking like, oh. Oh, wouldn't it be a little, wouldn't it be a little cheeky if you got to fifty? But obviously that's not going to happen. So whatever. Went to sleep. Woke up to the delicious news that he had scored fifty, um, and that was pretty awesome. That puts Jalen Brunson at a forty-six percent three-point shooting uh, for the season on six point eight attempts, which you know in the grand scheme of things is really an all-time three-point shooting season for a player. 
which is really funny because he's not even fifth in percentage this season. And you don't really think about Jalen Brunson as like a knockdown three-point shooter. So really just shows where the the state of the league, I guess, if you will. Um, other Knicks, uh, Jalen, Julius, and RJ all scored 20-plus for the 18th time in their trio's history, passing Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, and Dave DeBoucher for fifth all-time in Knicks history. Um, that's awesome. I, I do... When everything's working, I love that trio, I would say, because they really offer something each. You know, you've got old school bruiser inside presence in Julius. You've got you've got the wing in RJ, and then you've got the point guard in, in Jalen. It's a lovely trio. Um, and, and after the end of the game, Julian made, or Julian, Julian Randall, uh, Julius Randall, King Julian. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Julius Randall made sure that the ball got to Jalen Brunson because of little drama he wanted to make sure it didn't repeat in in Phoenix uh, in relation to the Bucks game that had happened a couple of nights before. We'll talk about that in, in, in not too long here. But uh, other than that, for the for the Suns game, uh, Quinn Grimes was like three of six from three, which, you know, isn't like, oh, wow, he, you know, 50% from three. That's great. But like six attempts, it's like nothing crazy, right? Um, but in general, I've just loved how he's stayed really locked in since being benched. It's really easy to kind of take your foot off the pedal um when you lose your your starting spot and it feels like you're kind of getting uh demoted which it absolutely I mean that's exactly what was happening because he was having a pretty rough stretch but I love to see that he's he's really stayed locked in and and ready whenever he gets called upon despite that because he's played pretty pretty amazing off the bench um I don't want to gas it too much but yeah he's played pretty great uh the next night Saturday, the Knicks then headed over to LA to play the Clippers and lost by 22. <laughs> uh, Kawhi had 36 points. The Knicks shot barely 31% from three overall. Just, just not a great time. And I think this past weekend really is a great encapsulation of just sort of the overall Knicks experience. Very much a roller coaster. Um, when you when you take even the game before Phoenix, which, I don't know, like Thursday, Wednesday, whenever it was. I think it was Wednesday, actually. Um, horrible performance against the Jazz. Just just a not good performance against Utah. Weren't really in it. And, and they're not a great team. And then we come out and we smoke the Suns, who are whatever the Suns are, but at least have the aspirations of being a fully championship-contending team. Uh, and then we lose to the Clippers, who... Are in the same kind of category, but like probably at least a, like a at least a one peg below the Suns. But uh, yeah, that was that was that on the other side of the news for that game. Bradley Beal sprained his ankle like five minutes into the game, and he's going to be out for a few weeks. And that's I mean that's brutal, even for a player who I don't really have any strong opinions on, like Bradley Beal. Seeing a player just recurringly getting injured after having very little playing time and especially when that player has a lot of like promise uh, or is just talented in general like Bradley Beal it sucks to see because as a basketball fan you're just kind of getting deprived and especially because he's on a crazy team I want to see what that Suns team looks like you know um, it was his third game in a row and as I said his sixth game overall that he's played with the Phoenix Suns um, but I, I just I don't really know how to feel because first when are we going to see this big three really get consistent minutes over a at least 
decent size uh, sample size of the season. I mean, the more they each take turns having like one player out, Devin Booker's been having a thing with like his back. He seems fine now though, um, but he was he was clearly not in the lineup uh, to start the season. Um, but you kind of have him and, and Bradley Beal trading off for a while. Then Devin Booker, he's like fully here. Now Bradley Beal's going to be out for at least a couple of weeks um, before before his sprained ankle is like really, really good to play on. And I don't know. I just, the Suns, as we've seen so far, they don't really feel like they're... Uh, you know, for the sake of authenticity, I'm just going to like, whatever that was, leave it in. The camera just fell from its very weird, like nesting spot that I have. So I'm not even entirely surprised, just, you know, a little disappointed. Anyways, as I was saying, the Suns don't really feel like they're just a Bradley Beal away from really being like a, the team to beat. So, and that's clearly the kind of move they made. And in fact, when you combine that with the fact rather that the big three has played 24 total minutes in 25, 26 games together. Now, it's kind of sounding like the Brooklyn Nets big three all over again. Otherworldly potential, at least like on, on the offensive side of the ball, um, but just never really able to get everything to line up. And it really shows you building these kind of teams is, is really hard. It's not just a matter of, oh, good players. Let's put them all on the same team. Like there's a lot of factors that go into this. So I don't know. We'll have to see what the Suns are like. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not great right now. They're the 10th in the West. Um, you know, they are above 500, but as I said, are they really just like a Bradley Beal away from being like, okay, we'll, we'll make ourselves a top, you know, six, top five seed by the end of the season, guaranteed something like that. I don't know. Question or jury rather is still out on that. Uh, all right. Next bit of news is Draymond. Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely. Uh, this happened last Tuesday. It was a game against the Suns. Uh, and if you don't know what happened, basically, I think it was it was early in the game, first half, and uh, Draymond goes and he and he flails his arm with just absolutely zero restraint, zero critical thinking, and just clocks Yusuf Nurkic, the Sun center, in the face with his giant right hand. Quite a bit of force, quite a bit of momentum in that swing. I mean, he was really, really recklessly flailing, flailing himself around. And he just sent Nurkic to the ground. And if you're aware of who the Bosnian beast is, you know, we're talking about seven foot, 280. That's a big boy. That's a big boy that he just leveled. Um, he says it was an accident. He was trying to sell a foul, which, you know, if you look at the play or the moment of the play uh, in before it happens, like, yeah, it makes sense. It, it's, it's enough, you know, it makes enough sense rather that that's what he was trying to do. But even if we believe him, man, it's like that was, again, egregiously reckless. And as the foul that kicks him out of the game suggests, flagrant. Um, you know, I mean, he apologized. And and also, I mean, he apologized. Obviously, didn't mean to do this. And I sincerely believe that Draymond didn't go like, oh, yeah, like, you're, you're getting a fucking backhand, bud. But uh, in, I guess it was like a post-game. I mean, everything's been post-game for it. But... Uh, it was, I don't know if it was like actually the, the post game, like press conference, or if it was just in the ensuing kind of couple of days that people kept reaching out and asking him about it. But when he apologized, he, he mentioned the, the unintentional nature of it. And 
He also brought up the Gobert thing, which happened not that long ago, and said that he didn't even realize how long he had been holding on to Rudy Gobert when he choked him out, which... I don't like what like what are, what are you blacking out in the heat of the moment you know <laughs> like is Draymond's rage towards things not going his way in a game like compounding until he just like loses consciousness and, and lashes out violently like who does bro think he is Moon Knight like he just he just wakes up on the team bus and he's like oh wh- what happened and all, and all the Warriors are just kind of standing around him and they're like you did it again Draymond you know we, we know you're sorry and you didn't mean to. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I didn't mean to do that. And, and then they're like, it's okay, Draymond. And the cycle just continues like that forever and forever. And we're all just supposed to be kind of cool with it? I don't know. <laughs> but seriously, if it is an accident, which, again, I, I can believe. I'm willing to believe. You sure do it a lot for someone who makes it an accident. You know, you, why do you keep doing it? Why does this keep happening? It sure is a pretty common occurrence for someone who doesn't mean to. And also, like, kind of not related, but also totally related, is supposed to be like a wise veteran leader for their team. You know, someone who leads by example. And he just, whether it's intentional or not, which we know sometimes what he does is absolutely intentional, and he knows what he's doing. But even in the moments like this, when it's, oh, I didn't, like, realize I was doing all that, like... That's a really, really low level of like self-awareness and control for a veteran player who's supposed to be, you know, a, a, an example. Um, and now he's being sent to rehab, counseling, anger management. I don't really know what to call it. Um, I'm just sort of confused at what the NBA and the Warriors are really trying to spin this as. Um not gonna lie, it kind of seems like they're trying to make it out to be like a mental health issue. And if that's the case, I want to make it clear I am super pro mental health. And of, and of course, if that's an aspect, I want Draymond to be able to have the resources and get the help he needs to be able to process everything like that. Um, but even if that is a factor, it feels like kind of focusing on and making that the issue takes a certain level of responsibility away from Draymond in the fact that He has done these excessive, reckless, and at times, quite frankly, dirty plays repeatedly throughout his career. You know, making it about mental health kind of derails from the fact that no one has held him accountable in his career up until this point. And that's on the NBA and the Warriors. You know, obviously you'd expect the Warriors to publicly at least support him and in general just have a much more charitable view of his actions. Um, Plus... Having a guy like that, having a guy like a Draymond or a a Patrick Beverly or Dylan Brooks, like it's always a very different experience and perspective when that player's on your team. Obviously, you like having a guy that really, you know, goes to bat for your team like that, but no internal disciplining. I mean, after, again, after all this time, Draymond's been in the league for over a decade. And it's like, you know, not at, at some point, the fact that you haven't, like not letting this become an established recurring behavior is is an obligation of the franchise, I think. And especially as he's gotten older, I mentioned, and is supposed to be setting good examples for the younger players who are supposed to in turn carry the franchise into the future. It just sort of seems like, yo, like Draymond, like this is pretty anti-warrior behavior for a warrior cornerstone. Um And then on the league's end, clearly unsubstantial fines and 
five to ten game temporary suspensions. They haven't been enough, you know, and and when there's such a lengthy history of these actions and the NBA haven't at some point levied some serious consequence for the continued behavior, it really just feels like a matter of negligence, in my opinion. And I don't like the idea of them kind of getting away with that and deflecting the issue and their responsibility by turning it into this performative moment of like solemn self-reflection for Draymond of course again if it is genuinely something to do with his mental health and just uh whatever it is if that's an actual factor of course that kind of changes my perspective a little bit on things but I don't know the reason I'm hesitant at least is because Draymond has has never really shown remorse for this kind of thing for for the for the player he is I should say again if it's an accident that's one thing but he has never shown remorse for the kind of player he is and openly accepts that he knows that this is like probably something he's going to end up doing and like whatever, you know? And again, outside of the like it being an accident, just plain and simple, he embraces it, in fact, the idea that that's how he's going to play. And so why now are we supposed to believe that he's struggling, he's struggling with regulating himself and isn't just playing flagrant, flagrantly like he always has? Um I don't know. So yeah, uh, it, it's more likely than not that Draymond's just going to have to complete some like random, I don't want to call it dumb, but like arbitrary rather like counseling or like course, whatever behavioral thing to work on his emotions. Um, and then in like a month, maybe a little bit more. I mean, that part, that part genuinely, he could be out for a little while, especially when you add in the go bear thing, which was just so recent in, in the grand scheme of things. They might have to be like, yo, you're going a little crazy to start the season, my guy. You're going to have to sit out, you know, 20, 30 games. But regardless, um, then he'll come back and, you know, the league will go, oh, okay, Draymond has worked on himself. He's made a lot of progress and now he's ready to come back and, and be a functioning contributing member of not just his team but the the league and the culture and we'll all kind of go like all right whatever and history may or may not repeat itself from that point on uh yeah that's that's really all i have to say on the matter uh it's regardless of what happens it's definitely a, a watershed moment in the long saga of draymond green antics um as i said don't think it'll really end up being anything crazy but we'll see Getting into the next bit of drama that happened in the league over the past you know, four or five days since uh, episode one, and also if you're watching visually, there's a light on here now. It suddenly got like super dark out. I don't really know where that came from. I thought I thought I'd have at least like 40 minutes or something, but whatever. Anyway, point is, drama does not end there in this NBA. Uh, going back now to Wednesday night. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks took on the Pacers, and Giannis had a 64-point game. Career high, franchise record. Overall, pretty good night in Milwaukee, if I do say so myself. Um, but but then what happened was, all right, so he didn't get the game ball, and he was really angry about it. That's the drama. Now let's break it down. Sorry. It's hard working through the order of which you want to retell things sometimes. But basically, this is what happened. Game ends. It's it's like a blowout. Giannis was totally in it at the end of the game. Just, just fucking milking it. It was quite honestly kind of comical. Which, side note, I have no problem with, dude. Like, the idea of like, oh, you're down 20. You shouldn't be putting up points. It's a basketball game, bro. Like, don't want me to score. Don't let me score. Like, I don't, that sounds kind of dumb, but like, 
I don't know. I just don't have a problem with someone like spamming. I don't know, if you were playing, if you were playing like a match of Call of Duty and you were blowing the other team out, you had them trapped in in their spawns, they couldn't move anywhere. You're totally dominant. You had all the bases captured. Are you gonna just like sit back and go like, man, I kind of feel bad. I'm gonna like. I'm going to just like hang back here and snipe now. Like, no, dude, you're going to go and try to get as many kills as possible. So I don't really have a problem with, uh, with, with Giannis or anybody really like milking points towards the end of games. Like, whatever, do what you want. Um, I would totally be doing the same thing. As well. If I have an opportunity to get 60 points, hell yeah, I'm going for that. Um, but basically, as the game ended, the Pacers had apparently uh, taken the game ball and wanted to give it to their rookie, Oscar uh, Shibue. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe not, but whatever. Uh, Oscar Shibue, um, who got his first official points in the NBA in his career. Um, and it definitely looked like they went out of their way to do so as the game ended. They had some coach who like immediately jogged through like everybody kind of walking to where they're going and like celebrating whatever. Uh, to, to, to grab a ball from the ref. Um, so it definitely kind of looked like there was a little bit of intention there. Anyway, that Giannis eventually is like, yo, where's the ball? Or someone's trying to give it to him. And then it gets to Giannis that the ball isn't somewhere. So Giannis is yelling at Tyrese, like really intensely. And Giannis is a, is a large individual. It's a threatening presence to say the least. And he's saying, go get the ball. You know, you're going you're gonna to go back there and get the ball. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're not doing this right now. Get the ball. Like, this is our, this is our, you know, whatever. Like, you have no right to be doing this. And Tyrese is kind of just, like, sitting there like, yeah, you go get that ball, bro. I don't give a shit what happens. Like, it's not really <laughs> whatever, bro. Like, pretty, pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. Um, and so Giannis is like, all right, bet. Starts sprinting towards the, uh, towards the, the, archway to to the tunnels to the to the locker room he's being held back by an assistant coach which is all but a mute point um and ends up getting to like the locker room and there's a bit of a scene there him trying to figure out like what the what the what the hell's going on um and apparently it was all a misunderstanding he says with a question mark behind his voice (laughs) um the pacers say they took a practice ball or like not a real one but or not like a, the real game one, but uh, a warm-up, pra- yeah, whatever, practice ball, uh, and that the Bucks had had the real one the whole time. Um, but then separately, I also heard some stuff about maybe the Pacers like deflated the game ball to like, you know, just, just going to pocket that real quick um, to like try to get out of there. I don't know. Um, but regardless, by the end of the whole fiasco, Giannis did have a ball. He's sitting at the post-game press conference, and someone asks him about him at, or about it, and and he's like, "Yeah, well, like whatever." Kind of just a little over the whole thing, probably realizing that he was going really intense. Uh, although I don't necessarily blame him, I would also be kind of uh, pretty salty. And he said that you know he has a ball, but he doesn't believe that it's the real game ball. And he says something along the lines of like. You know, I played 35, 37 minutes tonight. I, I would know what it feels like. Like, this feels like a brand new ball. And, you know, for, for all the hoopers out there, you definitely know, you know, I, I don't know about maybe like a 48-minute a difference in a ball's wear and tear, but like, you know that fresh, that fresh ball, it's got like the the thickest possible coating of the like wax. It's like ultra grippy. You, you know what that like that dead stock basketball feeling is like. Um, so 
you know, I, 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 I choose to, uh, to believe there's a reasonable suspicion for Giannis to say something like that. Like, oh, I have a ball, but I'm not going to lie. I just spent a whole game playing with the ball I wanted. This doesn't really feel like that. But regardless, I'm, I'm going to also assume that the Pacers did not really try to do anything by this because... I don't know. That would just be like really weird, would it not be? Um, I've never heard of some shit like that. For it to be a franchise record, like the franchise player's career high team record at home, and then you take the ball because you're like, oh yeah, no, it's a thing. We like to give our we like to give the game ball to the rookie who scored his first point. Like, yeah, that would that would be a weirdo move if that's the case. But I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. Um, but. But yeah, that was that was quite a scene, to say the least. And moving on to our one and only main segment for this episode, we are going to be talking about the Detroit Pistons. Let's go. I'm I'm personally very excited for this. So basically, if if you don't stay super tuned into the league or or whatnot, the Pistons have been a pretty bad basketball team. they've been so bad so so bad historically bad they are two and 24th sitting or sorry they are two and 24 sitting at the 15th spot in the eastern conference they have a 7.7 percent win like a win percentage uh which puts them on pace to win 6.3 games and honestly they're not really showing any signs of turning that around at the moment um I think first and foremost, something that should be mentioned is this team does have talent, but at the same time, there's not a ro- there's not a roster in the NBA that doesn't have talent on it. It's all about configuration and how things work together. And this team is horribly constructed, maybe the worst constructed roster, even including teams that are having to deal with like absences and and uh, just bad lineups because of injuries like like the Grizzlies for example or something like that this might just be flat out undeniably the worst constructed roster in the league at the moment um to to quickly go down a few things they're terrible on defense all right they have the 26th uh defensive rating and they're pretty incompetent on offense they have the 28th offensive rating which having one of those ratings is one thing, you know, like, oh, we're, we're a defensive team that hangs our hat on, on our defense. We're not really good at scoring or vice versa, but to be bottom, like three, bottom four in both of those is brutal, brutal. Um, so, all right, let's break it down a little bit. I've, I've watched more Pistons basketball than, uh, I reasonably should have so far this season. Not like a crazy amount, but like a a disproportionate amount of Pistons basketball has uh, glazed my eyeball. That was a really weird way of saying that. Why did I say that? Anyway, I've watched a lot of Pistons basketball relative to how bad they are and relative to how many other good teams that are worth watching. That's what I was trying to say, you fucking weirdo. Anyway, um, in in terms of things that in terms of things allowing the other team to score. Mainly, the offense is stagnant, all right? So the ball doesn't move a lot. The players, when they don't have the ball, don't move a lot. And a lot of possessions honestly just end up being like a last-second 
pass to whoever can get off like a, a semi-clean shot. And they're just like, all right, we'll live with that as the possession, I guess. Um, and then on as well, the Pistons are awful at switching and navigating around screens. They're constantly going around instead of under, which if you can visualize the idea of, of defending against a, a pick and roll and it's best that you try to go under to stay in front of the player you're defending instead of just taking the long way around the, the scenic view. And then you end up just trailing and, and leaving the the, the uh, player who then gets the ball to kind of just like dribble into an open shot, which is what they do all the time. They're giving so much space to shooters. Most teams are shooting considerably better, like several percentages more versus the Pistons. Um, and it's because they're they're pretty bad at staying in front of their man and just not giving up uh, good shots. Not just uh, beyond just switching uh, and navigating around screens, or rather, uh, not being able to navigate around screens. Um, they're also just really bad at switching. First, they do a lot of switching when they really don't need to, which ends up having like a, a momentary like lapse in defensive communication, which the player with the ball on the other team sees and just ends up taking an open shot. That's really where the several percentage increase comes from. Um, Cause one of the players will be trying to follow, follow their defender and they very easily could maneuver around to stay in front of their defender, but instead they'll call a switch and the other guy's like, huh? And so he kind of like sags off for a second to give him some space to come over. And then he'll go over this way. I hope you're following this. And in that moment of them kind of figuring out what kind of roly poly dance they want to do, the person with the ball is like, open shots, best shot, you know, and takes that shit. Um, So yeah, offensively, this team's just kind of a nightmare. Uh, at, or rather defensively, just kind of a nightmare, not very good at, at, at communicating and staying in front of their players. Offensively, this team is a nightmare. Bar none, without a doubt, this team has the worst spacing in the entire league. There are, there's like no shooters on this team. So when we're talking about their, their number one creator slash also like scoring option in Cade Cunningham, who I thought his return this season would really make the the Pistons kind of have a push for maybe even like a playing spot. Clearly that's not gonna happen. But when you have a guy like that and then you're surrounding him with ancillary pieces and he's really gonna be the creator, dude, he's getting hoed so bad. If we think about the starting lineup outside of Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, good joke. Bogdanovich, sure, that's a shooter. Isaiah Stewart, he's averaging like 36%, I think, from behind the three-point line, which is cool, but he's not a shooter. Um, And then whichever, you know, five, whichever center big man you want to put, they don't shoot, so that doesn't really matter. Um, And so because of how little shooting threats there are on this roster, Cade is basically getting double and triple teamed Almost every possession. And I'll explain kind of how that works like loosely. Again, I haven't watched every single Pistons uh, game so far this season. So maybe this plays out in a few other ways. But mainly how I noticed this works is defenders are able to sag off of the rest of the Pistons because they are really not outside threats, leaving them to close in, i.e. create less space 
for Cade, who's then dealing with just wicked coverages as the Pistons point guard. Not really, not really something he's, he's suited to be doing at this point in his career, which is a kind of separate argument, uh, conversation. Uh, if you're a Pistons fan, uh, or just kind of tapped into the Pistons fandom, you might know they're, they're a little, a little iffy, iffy on Cade in general. Um, most of, most of them and kind of the franchise in general, uh, feel pretty unsure of whether Cade could really be that long-term guy, you know? So, sorry, Agua break. Cade is a, he's a big guard that moves a little slower, um, at least for like, I mean, he's not slow. Don't get me wrong. This is not like a, like a Jokic kind of thing, but just in terms of like a, you know, De'Aaron Fox, that's a poor example because that dude is literally lightning quick by all standards, but you get what I mean. He's not that explosive, fast twitch, rim pressure, John Morant kind of guard. He's a more slowing, slower, methodical, you know, I'm going to survey the floor and try to find some 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 plays to make. Um, but on one hand, he doesn't really have the playmaking or passing abilities quite of, of a Luka or a Trey or a Halliburton. Um, and also doesn't have the roster to, to finish those plays, even if he was regardless. Um, and then clearly, Cage just not the three-level scorer uh, that that would be needed to just, regardless of everything, drag a trash bag team like this to victories. You can do that if you're like even not as good of a playmaker as like a Luka Doncic. But if you can score at every level of the game, that's gonna and and are like even a half decent playmaker. You're gonna be able to drag your team to some wins because you're just such an offensive hub. You create a lot of uh, you create a lot of offensive opportunities um, just because of how much of a scoring threat you are. You can get better looks for your teammates. Again, that might not matter on the Pistons right now, anyways, because they don't have people who can knock down those shots. Point being. He's not really, uh, he's, he's just not the type of score that would be needed for to just drag a garbage team like this, as I said. And he's not quite the, the, the playmaker to also just be like, whatever, once we get some good guys around him, we'll be set. Like, jury's still out. Um, so the fact that the jury's still out and the fact that you have him in such an unproductive circumstance really only delays finding out whether Cade can be that guy for the Pistons, which just seems really, you know, counterproductive to the whole process of like building a team, you know? Um, so that if in a season or two, it kind of, it kind of turns out that he's not that guy. Well, that was a lot of wasted time. You had not figuring that out by having him in such a bad position that it really didn't matter either way. I hope you get what I'm saying with that. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying that he isn't that guy, you know, I think he's, he really does show a lot of promise with his, with his size and even just early on playmaking abilities. I, I think he can really be, uh, he could be a really, really premier guard in the league. Although to be fair, to play a little devil's advocate, I will admit if you are that guy, you would think you could drag your team to at least one win, like not a playoff win, not a play in win, but like one regular season win, you would think for Christ's sake, he could, he could like pull that off if he was that guy, but whatever. He's one, he's in one of the worst situations any lead creator in the NBA could like possibly be in. So I do want to give him a little bit of like leeway in that regard. 
Uh, in terms of positives, you know, bright sides on the Pistons roster, uh, Jalen Duran, their their center, who who's in his second year, uh, he was playing really well before he got injured, averaging a double double, great efficiency around the rim, uh, good play finisher, and he was anchoring whatever you want to call Detroit's defense. Um, he's going to be out for like at least a couple more weeks. I'm not exactly sure what his injury was, but. I really hope whenever he comes back, he's able to pick up where he left off. I hate seeing really, really young players who are clearly on an upwards trajectory get injured, and then when they come back, that just that that path isn't as steep as it once was. Um, but but he was really showing a lot of promise for them. Uh, Asar Thomas or Thomas Thompson, Asar Thompson, he has been legit. I did not expect the kind of player. Uh, him and his brother were in the overtime elite league. I didn't expect this to be the kind of thing Asar would be contributing. Um, fifth overall pick in the 2023 draft. Um, taken for his, his size and athleticism and finishing, I believe. But uh, he's been an elite perimeter defender. Like, off it. Already one of the best perimeter perimeter defenders like in the league. No joke. In terms of... Uh, in terms of really like a, a point of attack, um, on ball kind of guy, he is ridiculous. And even more so than just the the one specific aspect that stands out. And if you watch NBA, you definitely know what I'm about to say. But this dude is a generational rebounder, which I talked about with uh, the Knicks last uh, last episode because, you know, it's an odd thing to be like, oh, but the rebounding, but the rebounding, you know, because it's not a super sexy thing. So if that's what you're you're trying to draw attention to, it means there's maybe not a lot of other things going on. But Asar Thompson's a great defensive player anyways. But dude, when you're watching him, you're like, you squint at the TV and you're like, am I watching a more athletic Dennis Rodman? What's going on? I'm just kidding. You're not watching Pistons games. I know that. Um, anyways. He can't shoot for shit, though. <laughs> uh, he, he's actively uh, adding to that spacing problem. And when you can't shoot, you're not just like a non-factor on offense. You're actively hurting your team. Because again, when defenders can pay less attention to you, when all I have to worry about as a defender is making sure that you just don't get under the rim for like a layup, I'm going to be able to sag way further off of you, pay way more attention and provide help, uh, help coverage and whatnot uh, to your other teammates who are actually trying to score the ball and make some things happen. So um, he's definitely hurting the Pistons in that aspect, but the Pistons need some, some positives where they can get. So no, 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 no touching to Sar Thompson. All right. Leave him, leave him be. All right. Um, also, if you're relying on him to be like the difference maker on this team, you're like, you're in the wrong business. So yeah, I've been loving, uh, Atar Thompson. He is legit. I think he's going to be a perennial all defensive team member. Um, I would not be surprised if he was a all defensive player next season. Even I'm not going to say he's going to be one of the best four perimeter guards in the league. This season, that seems a little excessive um, when you have already guys like OG Ananobi and Dylan Brooks and Drew Holiday and Derek White, the latter of the latter two of which are on the same team. Who allowed that anyway? Um, but in the coming years, yeah, this dude's going to be a staple uh, all defensive team member, maybe even a defensive player of the year kind of candidate. Anyways, not going to project 
too too hard on that one. Um, Marcus Sasser, who was a late first round pick this year, um, has also been quite a surprise. Maybe not if you were a big Marcus Sasser fan before. I think he played at at Houston. I could be completely lying about that, but whatever. Um, he plays, he plays like 18 minutes a game, uh, and is relatively efficient, uh, unlike most of the Pistons, he's shooting 42% from three. Um, but ultimately limited role kind of equals limited impact. So again, if you're looking to Marcus Sasser to be a difference maker on this team, you've come to the wrong place, but he's been a surprising upside and, uh, I definitely want to see some more from him. Uh, then there's Killian Hayes, who is bad. <laughs> he is bad, but got the starting point guard spot over Jaden Ivey because at least he plays defense, which is kind of a wild thing to say. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about Ivey in a second, but if you were to look at the two of them, you would definitely not guess Killian Hayes is the one playing more lockdown defense, but whatever. Outside of that, though, his story is kind of the same. I'm sorry, Pistons fans, but he's just like not really that good. Um, he's got a he's got a smooth, aesthetically pleasing, pretty game, you know. And he's a soft he's a he's a pretty saucy left hand player, which you know you don't see those uh, too often. Um, and you know, occasionally he he'll put together a good game, but overall, in the grand scheme of things, is one of the least efficient players in the NBA. So, yeah, I just, I don't really, I think Killian Hayes should probably not be on your basketball team. But, again, when it comes to the Pistons, there's, like, bigger problems, uh, the totality, that being. Um, But it does feel kind of like excessive punishment on Jaden Ivey because it's like, how are you supposed to improve, man? You know, maybe Pistons fans who are really tapped in can can correct me on this because they've watched more than me. But Jaden Ivey has the physical tools to be a really solid borderline elite perimeter point of attack defender. He's like 6'4", 6'10", wingspan. It feels like he could be Drew Holiday if he really wanted to. I don't know if it's his defensive IQ or just like intensity and effort. Um, but yeah, it, it sucks when he was kind of, he's, he was put on the bench like a, a, a decent bit ago. So it's not like he had a lot of this season to be a starter with 30 plus minutes, um, messing up. Uh, so I, I would like to see him being given a bit more of a chance unless you're a Pistons fan and you're like, trust me, bro. He's on the bench for more than just his lack of defensive effort. Um, and then lastly, really the, the last consistent contributor who I think will probably still be on the Pistons. Uh, I don't want to say long-term, but worth talking about because they're, they're definitely a part of the plan is Isaiah Stewart, who is like a solid, decent backup, four or five, whatever he is. But, you know, he's not really a scorer. He's not a scorer. I don't even know why I added the, like, really to it. He's not a scorer. Um, and he's too small to be, like, a an anchor big man. So, I don't know. He is what he is. Again, decent backup, but you're asking... You're, you're wanting more from him right now because there's not a lot of contributors going around. Um, and then lastly, there's a few things about this team that are just flat out pissing me off. Um, first off, what the hell is Bojan Bogdanovic doing on this team? Like, every time I see him on this team, it, it saddens me to my core. He could be contributing to a legit, like, 
contender team, but instead he's helping push the the Pistons win projection from four to seven. Um, and also the same thing with Joe Harris, who came from the Nets. Uh, it's He hasn't been playing great, don't get me wrong, but he has been a mid-40s three-point shooter over his career. Definitely feels like he could be offering some value to an infinitely more competitive team than the Pistons. But instead, they want... I'm, I really I really don't get it with Bogdanovich, though, because he plays quite a lot. He can actually do some things. Hell, I'll take him on my team. If no one wants him, if, hey, hey, if the market ain't good for Bogdanovich or something, I'll take him. But uh, they've, they've said that they don't want to trade him. They, they are looking for him to etch out some wins for them. And it's just like, what, dude? Like... Read the room, guy. Read the room. I love Bojan Bogdanovic, but he is not saving this team. He is not preventing this sinking ship from from reaching an icy grave at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and then, again, same thing, but like to a smaller degree with Joe Harris. Um, and then the other thing is, is Monty Williams the problem? That I actually do say non-sarcastically with a question mark because I don't really know yet, but... We're talking about the highest paid coach in the league, besides Popovich, I'm pretty sure. 13 and some change mil a year, um, which, not that it should matter, but also maybe it kind of should and adds to like a weird dynamic on the team. But he earns more than everyone on the roster except for Bojan and Joe Harris, who are at least like established NBA players and have gotten contracts already. But for the rest of the team, the coach who has been like eh, so so at best is earning more than all of you which again is a bit of a weird dynamic um so you know you have you have a new face in the locker room uh, a completely new approach and method you know i really think coaching changes gets underplayed in the league um like for for example the bucks <coughs> the bucks made a win now Let's get even better. Let's guarantee we're, we're, we're not fading out of the conversation kind of move for Damian Lillard. But without that, they also got rid of uh, Coach Bodenholzer, who was a huge part in establishing their championship identity and the kind of team that they were. And now they have Adrian Griffin, who I'm pretty sure is a first-year coach in general. And it's, a, it's about more than like, is he as good of a coach? He's just a completely different coach Will it work? You know, it's kind of the same thing as like, maybe you have a really good job, but you have an awful boss and it's like, oh, I'd like to stay at this job. This job works for me. It's a great job. Things are fine there. But like, I just can't work with this, with this boss. Like, I think it gets really undersold the, the impact that having a new kind of coach could be. So for the Pistons who are a young, you would like to think very malleable group of players, that's a, that's a really big change. Um, but it, so far has seen like seemed like he's not really been connecting with the players. Um, he consistently puts out some pretty questionable lineups and is again, not giving Cade his number one guy space to operate. Um, again, not that there's like a whole lot he can do there. He can't magically turn these guys into better shooters. That's on them. But to an extent, it's like your job as the coach to mitigate that, hide your team's weakness, but instead they'll consistently throw out lineups with, three, four, even just complete non-shooters. So it's like, what? And then also you have on one hand him saying something like, 
this the this situation in Detroit has been the toughest challenge of his coaching career, which from the outsider's perspective, you're like, damn, this is an NBA coach of the year. Like, this is the toughest challenge he's had. Like, man, that's that's serious. These guys must suck. But on the other hand, in the same breath, you'll have him say something after a game like, Oh yeah, you know, we're 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 starting to figure out if we, we can score if we space the floor properly. After the 20th loss, and you're like, Jesus, Monty, like, I could have told the Pistons that for less than 13 mil a year, you know what I'm saying? Like, definitely makes me question kind of the, the, I don't want to say the caliber of coach that he is, that's definitely not what I'm trying to say, but like, if he's the right one for this kind of situation, which, again, doesn't really necessarily have anything intrinsically to do with the coach and their abilities in general, hell, as a Knicks fan, I'm ready to depart ways with Tom Thibodeau. Not because I don't think he's a good coach, but he is he is not the coach we need going forward anymore, in my opinion. Sometimes it just doesn't work like that. It's all right. It's all right. Um But yeah, when you when you have when you have a coach who's maybe not that good for this team, but also this team in general just shouldn't exist in its current form anyways. You can see how the situation in Detroit is 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 a little sticky, is a little tricky. Um, but anyways, as I've said, this team has only won twice, and they might genuinely beat the nineteen seventy three Philadelphia seventy sixers record of nine and seventy three, which is the worst record in an eighty two game season. And dare I say, I'll take it a step further. They may be might even beat the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats earth-shattering 7 and 59 record which was only even achieved pos- which was only even possible rather because it was achieved in a shortened season due to the uh the 2011-2012 NBA lockout um but right now as i said they're on pace for like 6 6.3 6.4 wins that's less than the Bobcats got in a shortened season this will not be a shortened season Wallahi, I don't want it to be. Um, anyways, uh, that's like that. I mean, that's what I'm talking about when we're when we're saying we're getting into historically awful territory here. It's not just like, wow, have a fun. Uh, oh, yep, okay. Well, you're definitely a, a, like a lottery team, or you know, ha- have fun tanking or whatever. No, this is like, dude, dude, your your situation isn't even gonna improve if you win a couple of games. You just need to for posterity's sake, like. You want to be as bad as the 2012 Bobcats? Come on. The 2012 Bobcats have consistently been the like the the bar for not the bar for a bad team, but like if if you want to me if you're if you're trying to troll, if you're just trying to meme and shit post online, instantly throwing up a photo of the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats uh to like quote retweet someone talking about a modern team. Instantly an easy way to get some laughs, instantly an easy way to basically just say that they've been playing like shit, and to genuinely be in a position where you are approaching having an even worse record than them, that is really bad. That is really bad. Again, goes above like whatever your preseason objectives for the for the whole 82-game run was. Now you guys just need to get some wins to not be the Charlotte Bobcats, basically what I'm saying. Um, and the reason why I think that this could genuinely happen is because the Pistons have to do everything right. They have to put everything together 
just to stay competitive in a game. They're losing by an average margin of like 10 points. So it's not particularly close. They have to, I mean, everything's got to be on point if they just want to be like present competitive in a game late down its stretch. So when you have, sorry, voices, uh, voices going out. I, uh, very dry, dry mouth. Anyways. Um, so again, when you, when you've, got a team that literally has to do everything right perfect night for them just to be in a game uh you know and and with it being a week till christmas as well these motherfuckers might not win until 2024 it started out as a joke in like late december like oh the pistons aren't gonna win until 2024 and now we're here in mid-december approaching like the last two weeks and it's like oh Oh no, the the Pistons aren't gonna win in this in the remainder of this calendar year, which again is like an absurd, crazy thing to even think. Like this is the the simulation we're living in. Um, and like the the kicker to it, the 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 cherry on top of this like shitstorm is really that <clears throat> their record is likely only gonna get worse as it becomes more and more difficult. For these players to show up and put a hundred percent into practice and the weight room and recovery and nutrition and just doing everything right as a professional, when you have twenty-five losses, two wins, and almost sixty games left to go, it's very—it's a very demoralizing thing uh, and position to be in. Um, and even though they're paid millions and it's their job, they're professionals. I kind of feel bad, you know, as it's, it's embarrassing, it's soul crushing and demoralizing for, for these young players on the roster who, whether or not they've been playing good or bad, don't in and of themselves have much control over their situation. Um, and anecdotally unrelated to basketball, I've been a player on a really, really bad team. And I can say it's way more common that the collective just sort of shut down and go on autopilot and try to just get through the remainder of it. Uh, just going through the motions kind of uh, rather than showing up and going, okay, teams, let's turn things around. Our season starts from here. Like, no, more than likely that isn't going to be the attitude that the Pistons just sort of magically gain in, in February when they're like, Hey, we've got 25 games left. Let's put our all into it. Like if, if we're looking at a team that has, you know, less than five wins going into like February, you think they're suddenly going to like, there's a switch that's going to flip and, and they'll, and they'll turn into like a 500 team from there on out. Like, no, that's just likely not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I really don't know what's going to happen to the Pistons in an overall sense. I know what's happening to them right now. They're spiraling towards not just the bottom of the league, not just the bottom historically of any team in the league, but they're they're spiraling towards perhaps even pushing beyond that and setting a new like low bar, which you know it's I it's embarrassing. I would I would not want to be a Pistons player right now. <laughs> is is the gist of it? That's also a lie. I totally would. If if I don't know if like one of the if one of the let's see. All right, hold up. Completely side noting here. Depth chart. Let's go. Who's their like 18th man? Oh yeah, Kevin Knox. Dude, if Kevin Knox like wakes up and is like, 
I don't want to be an, I don't want to be a basketball player anymore. I'd be like, well, should have thought about that before you put on a Fortnite suit for your draft, but whatever. I'll take your spot because you know. Point being is, I I would I would love to still get paid you know millions to to run around and hoop, but outside of that, in a professional setting, uh, this is not a team you want to be on. You know, it's 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 hard to attract even like a mid level kind of free agent to this kind of situation because you're you've got to be thinking. Even as a player, you know, and it takes an irrational level of confidence to even get to the NBA anyways. So you probably think you can do anything anyways. But if I'm if I'm anything but like a top two, three player on planet Earth, I am very well confident that my abilities will not be enough to transform this team. And I'm just going to stay away. So I, I don't know what it's going to look like in the in the grand scheme of things. I would like to see the Pistons make some moves at the trade deadline, not blowing up their their young core um, to to try to become like a, a more relevant team. Like, guys, this season's probably a wash anyways. Like, focus on like the, the three f- or four guys that really this team shouldn't move away from quite yet. Uh, Cade, Jalen Duran, uh, Marcus Sasser, Asar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, um, and Jaden Ivey. Those are the only players who right now I would be like, I'm not considering trading them at the moment unless there's like a crazy offer on the table. Um, other than that, yo, blow this thing up. I'm sorry. James Wiseman, you're not in the league anymore. Isaiah Livers, you're not in the league anymore. Alec Burke, Nick's legend, you're not in the league anymore. Like they've just got to do some major overhauling. So hopefully things uh, end up panning out all right for the Pistons in the next coming years. They've been rebuilding for a lot longer than a lot of the other teams that are young and starting to like get good again, like the Magic or the Thunder or I don't know, but uh, but but their their trajectory looks a lot a lot worse than those teams. But other than that, uh, that's about all I had for episode two of Hoops Hour. Um, I don't really have anything to talk about in my hoops uh, or in like my non-related non-hoops related ramble of the week kind of section. Um, I wrapped up reverie question mark and I'm on to Wano now, which is really cool. This is a one piece thing. So sorry, I forgot. I got to do like an outro first for people who don't give a shit about this. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate you tuning in to episode two of hoops hour. Um, Stay tuned. We'll have another episode by the end of the week. Um, and if you're going to stick around for this little quick anime rant, um, the animation difference is crazy. It's really cool. It's very exciting to be catching up to modern animation quality in a show that began in the late nineties, early two thousands and has animation of like a cowboy bebop trigun type thing to now moving into like a one punch man, my hero kind of animation quality. Definitely not on like a attack on Titan uh, Demon Slayer, Vinland Saga, Jujutsu Kaisen kind of quality. Not quite yet, but we're getting to a point where there's just like way more shading and like a depth that was just not able to um, be reached in 2D animation. And so it's really cool to be reaching this point. Um, very excited. And other than that, the Knicks play tonight. They play the Lakers, which is exciting, but also a little nerve-wracking. If we pull up the uh, the good old roto wire real quick, we can see if anybody on the Lakers is not playing. Um, 
it looks like they're going to have a, a full lineup. So they're going to give it their all. We're going to give it our all. Um, I, I mean, all we really need is for the Lakers to just forget how to shoot, which they do two out of every like five games anyway. So fingers crossed for that, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah, that's basically going to be everything. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, basketball related or whatever, you can feel free to, well, you know, first you can comment them on any of the uh, episodes that get uploaded to YouTube or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll see them there. Don't worry about that. But if you want, you can like write a longer thing. If you want me to talk about something, even obviously these are like hour long episodes and we're on episode two. We've got so much. There's so much things to talk about. But if there's something you want to you want to hear about, whatnot, have a question again, anything uh, you can email hoopsourtv at gmail.com. That's sort of the, uh, the, the, the business inbox, if you will. Um, but yeah, other than that, thank you so much for watching. I hope it definitely feels like in the past 20 minutes, my voice has been slowly fading. So I hope the mic hasn't picked that up quite to the same extent as I can tell. But um, yeah, thank you all so much for watching. Only up from here. I feel pretty good about uh, this one. Definitely getting a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah, excited for episode three. We'll have that. I might also start um, chopping these episodes up and uploading like sections where you can just hear about um, that that topic or segment or whatever without having to click on the full like hour length uh, episode and find wherever it is. I was talking about that thing. Anyways, you'll see if that's a if that's a thing I do. You'll see it anyway. So don't really need to add too much on that. Anyways, uh, for the. 800 million time in the past two minutes thank you all for watching i appreciate it very much uh i'll be back soon but until then take care